Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company is Legend by Design. Well, folks, we're here doing a late season goose podcast. It's down here in January. It's cold, it's bitter cold. It's gone from warm to cold. But uh, this has been one of the toughest waterfowl seasons. I've mentioned this in the past of uh, some of the past podcasts, but the drought this year has definitely taken a toll. I knew it would here in the fall. Uh, we lost a lot of the loafing ponds and ponds that the ducks and geese held up in the midday. Um, you know, when the water is open and lake is open, that means it has open access to not just the, the waterfowl, but also to hunting pressure. So when we get the hunting pressure on the lakes, when we had all the loafing ponds, a lot of those birds in midday, they'd roost there, but they take off midday and hold up. Uh, you know, hold up on these loafing ponds and they'd hold there in these loafing ponds, especially the ones that had cornfields around it. They were just prime for uh, locations to, you know, especially if you weren't too close to the loafing pond. If you had them, you know, you get too close to it, you, you of course, we bumped them off the loafing pond. But, you know, if you get away from there for a good mile or so away from the loafing pond, it was, it produced pretty good hunting. And, uh, this year, though, being so sporadic that we had just a few of the loafing ponds, everything else was dried up. I would say probably 80% was dried up here. Maybe 20% was open. Um, you know, the birds that get the pressure on the lake, what happens if they don't have those loafing ponds and the pressures out there, they just move on. They move on to an area where they either hold water or an area that has a, a larger refuge. Or, and it, couldn't, it, it doesn't have to be very far from here. It could be back up. You know, we're living in southeast, south central Iowa. It's about an hour and 40 minutes drive to Des Moines as the bird flies. Who knows? It might be an hour. It might be 45 minutes. But uh, which is, you know, hop skip up there for, for a bird. And they have a lot of open river systems and they always hold a lot of birds. So, you know, they can bounce back and forth here. Um, you know, we get the weather warm up and you know, where the heck these birds come from. I, I believe that they come two hours away and they're back here. When it freezes up back here, they bounce back up to the Des Moines area there and, and they hit that open river systems. And, you know, there's enough uh, cornfields and stuff that they'll, you know, they'll get banged a little bit, but they'll they'll end up staying in an area that they, they find. Once they've been there long enough, they'll find the, the safe refuge of those that have lived and survived. So that's kind of the life and ways of the waterfowl. But here, like I said, we had the drought. We didn't have the loafing ponds. We didn't have, uh, we went through, man, it was so tough. We were into uh, Christmas area there, I think. Christmas, uh, we, I mean, we had to bring our horses down. It was that frigid, dangerous cold. I mean, it was minus 26, minus 28. You know how that's on that Iowa and uh luckily you know we kind of sit here with hilly area and down in the bottom and kind of protected but some of these open winded uh, uh hill areas around here it is some of the coldest wind i've ever faced in anywhere in the country and uh they definitely get some some cold open winds it makes it tough on the wildlife it makes it tough on the deer and turkey and whatever but um there at christmas time i think we had wind chill factors at minus 26 minus 28 birds gone everything's froze up gone see us Sayonata, heading to florida um heading south but um it didn't take long i think it was a week later that uh, we were driving around and we noticed that the temperature we went up to 66 degrees folks that's a 90 degree switch from in in a week's time 
And of course, it didn't take long in two or three days of that. Bam, birds were back. Everything turned to a greasy mud. Um, but it was good hunting for the t- first couple of days. I knew that we had new birds. And here's a couple tips of always finding the new birds in your area. Number one, when you start hearing geese flying you know, after dark, and I'm not talking the first half hour after dark. I'm talking 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. You're hearing birds flying above. And we hear that probably more so than a lot because, you know, we live right off the waterfowl refuge here. So the birds that are coming in, I know that when I got birds coming in, I hear them flying into the water at 10, 9, 10, 11 o'clock. We got new birds that are just re- uh, arriving in the area best time to get out the next day and, and start getting out there because these birds haven't come accustomed they haven't come to partial to any field they're actually they're out there looking it's so funny because you can see them out there and i can tell just how they they're they're flying pattern you know they're not from a to b they're just out there floating and looking and uh, those are the prime times when you see geese like that it's up you know is you have a great opportunity with that to hunt those traffic geese to pull them in your areas and that's what you want to look for in those flights. When you start seeing birds in big numbers and they're just, you hear the old saying, they're on a mission. I mean, they might be high, they might be some low. I think it depends on those who migrate more. But those birds are who get up and they're just pumping wings from point A to point B. And then they do about 10 circles before they go down in the, those are tough, killable birds. Those are birds that are really tough, paranoid. So... What I found in the late season, I'm going to get into this, is that in this late, is that my decoy spread is set up a little different. Uh, and the calling, I'm going to say the calling has got to be very well structured. You have to dot I's, cross T's. And, uh, and even so, I'll say what I found more here in the south, you know, in the late season. I used to love late season because I hunted uh, snow so much in the north, uh, Midwest. You know, where you're talking Ohio, Michigan, uh uh, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, you know, you're in this late season, you're definitely getting in the snow and man, I love hunting birds in the snow and you can disappear. And also, you know, your decoys stick out so much. And what's been tough down here in the Southern part, you know, is that we very rarely get any snow and we'll get a few, a little bit of snow cover and, and that could be good. And then it's gone maybe in four days when this year it's been real tough because, uh, we're running here in the second week of January, and we still have no snow cover. So it makes it tough for one thing. So in our areas and these geese that are, you know, if you're trying to hunt traffic and you're not in that area, you got to have eyesight. you got to be seen. So it's a really a blessing, and we try to get with some of our farmers here that uh, if you can get a farmer to work with you, and especially in a field um, that you're sitting here and you don't have much snow, uh, for to, you know, for sticking out, you got you know, the pick corn. The corn stalks sit pretty high. If you're looking at corn stalks that sit from six, you know, 12 to 16 inches, you know, it's pretty tough, and it's pretty tough on the birds. And what we found that a lot of the birds down here, the farmers who chisel plow, the farmers who mow their cornfields, they kind of mow it down. That seems to be the field of choice for a lot of birds. A couple of reasons, um, especially in ducks. Ducks are very uh, careful and paranoid about you know, when they're flying into these high corn stalk fields, they're taking a chance of damaging, breaking wings, uh, breaking any type of bone. It's very, they're very cautious to flying into predators, uh, predators hiding within the corn. It's a great place to, uh, to hunt uh, coyote and bobcat, stuff like that. If you're doing predator hunting, I, I like the higher pit corn fields because the predators like to use that. And they use it as covers. They're coming into the squealing rabbit. 
But, you know, anytime uh, you have the more open, everything's more cautious come in except for ducks or geese. And so when you get a cornfield, you know, we have a, one of my favorite cornfields. We got the farmers mowed half of it and the other half he's left standing picked corn. Now, not standing corn, but the, the cornfield's picked. And it, so, like I said, the stalks are anywhere from probably 12 to 16 inches. So how I utilize that and uh, what I've, you know, I've what I kind of tend to, and I'm not like saying one rule over everything, but I like to, uh, I use full bodies probably more and more uh, in this late season, especially in, I call my front presentation, the, the presentation hole, that when those birds are coming in, that's giving my first, the best look. It's uh, presenting, I want, my, I want the best decoys presenting the most real realistic. And the three-dimensional decoy is really hard to beat on pressured tough geese that are trying to come in who might circle several times, um, when, especially like in the snow and, and then this cut hay or this cut corn, excuse me, they, it sticks out a lot better from a distance. You can see the full bodies and whether, that, you know, to me, the color really doesn't matter as much as that full body given fullness there, that three-dimensional. Um, I'm using silhouettes. Uh, a lot this year in this late season because we don't have the snow but I've been using silhouettes and I'll put them you know in the uh, upwind of me um, I put them in the upwind of me uh, you know kind of making an arrowhead but I kind of make the, the standing corn stalks I put the silhouettes in there and basically from the side of when they're flying trying to give that black look um, you know, because they're not, they just need to see that blackness and it just gives a fullness of, you know, a bunch of birds as a refuge type of refuge, a look of, of a bunch of birds out in this field that this is the hot spot. And I like doing that, uh, but pretty much out in front of me and, uh, you know, in this type of situation with uh, laying the layout blinds in the standing corn and the higher corn, I'm, you know, we're hunting with the wind at our back. So I'm kind of setting up, if you will, can picture this kind of in a U in front of me but as the uh as it as the decoys come out in front of me oh about 20 yards i'll have them kind of spread out and and angling out and once i get about 30 to 40 yards i'll angle and taper them in out to where my last will be about 50 yards now there's a couple things that works really good that you can do here when you uh do that you kind of taper out and then taper back in and i use you know 30 yards and so because that kind of sets you know anything inside here is it definitely in, in what i like is in my killable range or our fun range or the range we want to shoot to do the most damage as those start tapering i make a slow taper taper and then back out and at the very end i would probably put the that my very end is about 50 yards so i know basically and it opens it up and kind of sets a, a pattern a runway for those geese to make a natural flight to want to come into that pocket it's uh, kind of the you open it up you're opening the door they they shoot the hole and then here's the pocket so i'll set the decoys about you know my furthest one out about 50 yards when we're angling back out now what's the cool thing about that is is that i like to use a lot of full bodies um out in front there but i put my, a lot of the feeders uh to my right to my left um i try to put feeders behind us i'll um onto the sides you know, we'll have feeders on my furthest wings out is where I'll put my more of my centuries and more of the active decoys, walking decoys, maybe a few uh, resters, but pretty much the feeders are all up front. I'm trying to get birds that are moving up into the feeding hole. Now, 
a great thing that is great uh, in this late season, I think, is probably what uh, is the final denominator. It puts the icing on the cake, so to speak. That old cliche is that uh, to my right and to my left, straight over just into the uh, mowed corn, I like to put sleepers. And it's good to have two, three, four dozen even. But even at the least amount, I like two dozen sleepers on my right, two dozen sleepers on my left, which is straight out where there's another pocket, kind of to my right, another pocket to my left, between them and the feeders. And because uh, a lot of times geese, when they are feeding, especially if you look in the late season, because they're conserving energy, they're building up the food, the food source, and, and uh, filling the hunger, sitting there and letting the digestion take and, and gaining strength then to fight, to fight the cold and flying back to the roost. Uh, a lot of times these birds aren't going to feed, especially in the bitter cold, and uh, fly straight back. And that especially if they're going to do a good hard feed. Uh, sometimes those geese who go out and feed uh, late full moon, they'll lay out in those fields and, and get in the sleeper. But, uh, you know, the best thing they do is they'll sit there and they get, they'll, the reason I put them ahead of the feeders because your, your geese will feed. And once they're done feeding, they'll walk over, turn into the wind, uh, shake their butt, and then sit down and tuck their head under their wing. And that way, as danger ever comes, they just stand up and they're right facing into the wing, the wind to take off. They don't have to turn and get um, disoriented or whatever and try to see that they're gone, turn into the wind. So it looks really natural. It's a contentment thing. It shows that these geese, that there's safety here. There's two things. There's food and there's safety. So those are the two things that I'm trying to present here in this late season. So when we get the spread set, and I'm telling you that why I like to use in the full bodies, and, and I will mix the silhouettes in it, and it gains the bigger spread. Um, flagging is, is, to me, the crucial. I would, I would probably leave my goose call home before I left the flag home. It, to me, especially when the geese are very, it's very critical now. They've been hammered. They've been hunted hard. Uh, these are geese that, like I said, they've been shot at it from the Canada, from Dakotas, from Minnesota, and down to southern Iowa. So they probably, you know, you probably got geese that could have been a shot at many times uh, in many situations of, of going into a field and been shot at. So they start learning. They start picking out little things that I think that, that uh, become muscle memory that they see that is out of place and sounds out of place and looks out of place. So remembering that, so if, if we set up as natural as we can and we fool that, we don't want to blow all our efforts of getting everything looking right to not sounding right. So we want to, you know, I'm going to let the bird dictate um, how we're going to approach this with a call. And, and to be able to do that, you've got to read that bird. And to me, the flag is, is the number one tool for gaining and looking. Um, when we see geese out there in the distance, the first thing I'm always doing is flagging. Now, I understand if, if they don't under, you know don't respond to the flag, of course, we're going to get the calls. We're going to scream. We're going to do everything because I just can't let birds go without trying something. But a lot of times, and this is the watch, if you start flagging at birds and you see immediate response, this is what I'm going to tell you that really concentrate of, of not calling at all and um, so when those birds are turning that means that I've gained attention I mean very quick I've got their that we have high interest here because it didn't take them a time it didn't take me a bunch of flagging to gain their interest and in, ooh, let's go see this 
as, as they turn. So now as they're turning, you know, we're going to flag. But once they start that lining up and they're coming in, they get around 70, 80 yards to 60 yards. I always like, especially if I'm hunting in a layout blind, I like to set a sentry out and I have the sentry facing towards them. So he's facing the downwind. And instead of facing in the wind, upwind, he's facing downwind. And um, so what is cool about that, he's looking at that. And, and um, as he's looking upwind, you know, or excuse me, he's looking downwind, he is, uh, he, he's looking at the geese. So I always set my flag just above his back so I can put my arm out of the uh, calling hole of the, of the layout line. But if those birds are 16, 70 yards, I'm still not calling. They hit 100 yards, they hit 80 yards. I'm hitting that flag and shaking that flag just above his back. And that's uh, given the resemblance of a bird who's just, he's flapping his wings, he's feeling his oats. And um, so, <coughs> excuse me, he's looking, he's looking there downwind. It sounds... You know, he's looking down there and he's looking and watching that coming in, hitting that flap. That keeps our eyes on the birds. Now, those birds are coming in and they see that little bit of motion. And at that time, if now they look at him, if he gets near that time and those birds start to want to wander off, now's the time that the timing of using the call. So there's a couple things. And in the late season, I mean, this will work on if you use one of our old man, a longer call, a medium-sized call. It's pretty much you can do the same thing. Uh, for me, uh, I like running a short call uh, more in the late season a lot because of the, the change in quickness. But I can get aggressive uh, to deep my tune it so I can get it deep. Um, I can get some good spit moans out of it. But there's a couple sequences that I like to do in that late season. Uh, working a bird and watching them. So number one is uh, to me, I'm going to run a call now when he starts to move, I want to get a reaction and I'm not going to overdo it because I don't want to push him out. If there's something that is kind of, uh, you know, he's just slowly moving out. He's, he's not, uh, he hasn't, he's not flared. He's just at, starting to drift. So when they're drifting on you, usually my go-to is a spit note. And I'm going to work with it because it is, so many guys that when we talk, when we talk about calling, one of the number one things guys come up, hey, man, I can't get a spit note. Well, can you do a clock first and a clock and a moan? And if they are, then sometimes it's, a, you know, the spit moan, a spit note. It's been one of those notes that so many people struggle with. And then when they get it, they're like, whoa, this is so easy. I didn't know. Yeah, it's you got to open the mind and just run this basic and let the call run. So. What I like to do, and I'm going to give you an example on a spit note, and I'm using our new ripper, little short ripper call because it's very aggressive and it has our game changer gut, so I can still get the trick notes and deep notes out of this thing and be aggressive. But you want to put your tip of your tongue behind your bottom teeth. My bottom lip is riding underneath the lower part of the mouthpiece. My top lip is pushing against the top rim of the mouthpiece. And what I do is I'll put more pressure on that top lip and just kind of let the bottom lip float because you're going to use that bottom lip to help as a leverage and pushing some of these notes. The top lip is sealing that so you, you don't blow it out of the front of the call. So 
what I'm wanting to do is there's a kind of couple things. It's real simple. You're almost locking that call to get that right spit. You're going to add a little voice inflection, but I don't want to get you so concentrated on the voice inflection first and not concentrating on the air presentation. You know, this is a two-part note. And the call, I'm going to stick, I'm trying to get the, which is going to be, Once I get that, and I'm using, you know, t, 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 the front of my tongue and, and, and my lips to push that note into the call. So that's why it's a spit, you know, because you're almost spitting without the moisture into that call. But here we're, here's, the, here's the secret behind that note is behind it. T, 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 t. So. I've always talked about your push point, and that is at the base of the Adam's apple. So when you suck your air in and stop, your air stops at the bottom of your throat, right at the base of the Adam's apple. That is what I call the push point. That's where you're going to push that air for the second note. So it's going to go from the front. And I'm using my Adam's apple to... Kind of, you see, that's how I'm getting that. So it's. Now, once you practice that, ta, ta, ha, 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 you hear the two different notes, then you're going to start slowly trying to put them together. Again, ta, 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 using the Adam's apple to push in that. Once you get that, get the 10 notes going, then you're going to start speeding that up, and it's going to sound like this. And you keep working that and practicing that till it's, like I said, once you get that in the throat, the timing of the spit to the throat, that timing, uh, it's going to become second nature to you. So this is that time, once we kind of showed you hitting that spit note, is that uh, I'm going to watch those geese in here. I'm going to give them a couple quick. I'm going to watch them. If they give me a little reaction, like, hey, I kind of like that. I kind of keep working them back and forth like that. Now, the next thing, once they start showing interest of that, you know, if they're really coming, again, shut up. You don't have to do this sequence. You know, there's not, this has to be every time. So if those geese look, hey, I hit that. Oh, I'm good. And you start seeing that little kind of moving back and forth that they're getting ready to set and, and want to come down. So what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, watch that and let them finish. Now, if they're still a little nervous and still not, then I like to do what I call a little ground murmur. And this is a very critical, a very, uh, I'd say, successful 
And once you get this down, it really works on finishing tough geese. It's a great thing to throw in early season, too, and if you just want to finish geese. But if you ever have geese on the ground, once they lit, and they are still excited, and the excitement of more birds coming, the ones on the ground will kind of hit that... They hit a, what I call a little murmur cluck. And it's a buzz murmur, I would call it. And it's very easy to do. And if you can remember back in the beginning of learning to run a call on the air presentation, I was trying to get you to do kind of the U sound and And then you're doing the Well, we're kind of doing that same thing. I kind of like taking my two fingers on my off hand. My call hand sits there. I'm kind of opening the call a little bit, using a couple fingers just over the edge of uh, with my off hand. back of the call now you listen to that you heard that now you take that that is teaching you how the air, I'm teaching you the air presentation but air control has to be felt you have to be able to apply it. It's just like lifting weights you can't lift 300 pounds if you've only put 50 pounds on the bench so you you got to know what that 300 pounds feels like and work up to it to control it. Same way with the air control. you got to know that feeling of, uh, okay, this is how I apply it. Now, I might add too much at one time, and you know, but so that's where the perfect practice comes in because so you're getting that same. So work on that and practice that little sequence. And when you start practicing, doing it slow, you start speeding it up then. That's a little ground murmur. Then what I like to add sometimes, and, and like again, this is all realism. This is what you know geese does, and, and you're putting it there trying to sound like two or three, but I'm basically getting that buzz cluck, that buzz moan. And another thing that I like to throw into is I call my finesse is a little uh, spit moan. This is uh, some... Um, a great thing to finish up and you know and especially if you got a couple geese working or those pairs or you get a single you know i'll i'll hit that little ground murmur <laughs> so 
So that's why I call it a bit of spit moan. And then you can add a spit moan. Then to get, if you want to just really put the icing on the cake and you want to get them to just, uh, just to cream over their toes and, and lay the, right, the feet right down in front of you, we can add a little, that spit moan into a hiccup, which we're going to speed that up and then you'll hear that. So that is a good, uh, usually that's the, my ending and finishing birds are coming in and I'm really putting the icing on there. And especially, you know, if you got two or three and you hit that and they start to coming in, they hit that 30 yards, you don't have to go. But there's a lot of times that you'll have uh, maybe a pair of geese or that one coming in and you got 30 behind him. It's another 50 yards. So it's imperative a lot of times that we finish that front one that he is just running in and then you know running up into the to the apex of, of our spread and what he's doing is he's pulling the rest of those the ones that we're actually shooting we're using him for the decoy so that's a lot of times that's why i go through the whole sequence even though you got a couple left some guys might shoot those two birds with 50 you know a bunch of birds out there at 50 yards they might shoot those two and figure two in the hands better than educating 50 in the bush but you know, i'm a little different i you know if, you, if we're going to educate them let's it's try to get our you know three shot what we can or the best opportunity watching i just love to watch birds work too so anyways i'll kind of give you a little sequence uh, of out in the field you know spotting geese giving them a couple spit notes and i'm going to work them on from there There you go. Hopefully those are, you just got your three shots off and three birds laying toenails up, tipping toenails. But anyway, I hope that this helps you guys out. It's been a tough year. It's always, you're always learning, but you know, due to as many cards and many aces you could put in the stack, the deck, you know, it's just to help try to better your opportunities. And it's tough enough out there. Um, there's everything's new and things are changing and birds are evolving and we have to try to evolve with them and that's what I feel like right now I'm in the evolving state I've learned you know for 40 years and things that I've done sometimes the basics are all coming back but sometimes some new uh, new uh, approaches have to be taken and learned and and trying different things but uh, I will say this you can never beat realism and you can never beat uh, the timing and, and uh, trying to look real sound real 
and uh, putting it all together and then learning from that, you know, and anyway, and so, but I also want to let me chat to you, my podcast guys, and just wanted to tell you that, hey, if you're listening, please, uh, if you like to subscribe, but also, hey, we're trying to, I'm putting together because it's, we're getting more in this off season, turkey season is coming and we will be excited with that, but, you know, we're going to work through this off time and also with uh, the the summer coming up, but I, we're going to have put on calling clinics and I want to do something once a week, maybe twice a week if we get enough people, maybe trying, and right now it's in a beginning stage, we're trying to put it together in a Zoom at, uh, you know, where we could try to get several guys a night onto this deal and but it's all that I'm wanting to help uh, guys to get a better collar. I want trying to help people to get better in the field. Um, we make, you know, we, I put a lot of time in designing these products, uh, working on things to get them to sound as realistic as possible. They still, just like any guitar, you know, or any instrument, it takes practice. There's nothing that you just pick up and sound like Ted Nugent from the beginning. You know, Ted Nugent took years and years of practice to get where he's at. And he also is using, you know, great equipment to do it now. So, I'm trying. I want to be able to help you guys. Uh, you know, if you have any ideas and stuff like that, email me, reach out. Uh, our YouTube also is uh, Legendary Gear with with George Lynch. We're going to do some stuff on that, you know, with instructional. But, you know, as we start looking at these podcasts, when we're looking at the amount of subscribers and people are looking, a lot of the guys are liking our instructional videos of what we're doing. And I'm getting, I'm getting a ton of emails and people calling me and saying, man, your instructions are helping me. And, and you know, and I'm trying to, I'm learning this, trying to put this together. You know, I've got years in my head of doing things. And there's some things that I might overlook that, uh, that might help that I forgot about because you're doing it for so long. But, uh, you know, I'd like to reach out and, and if you guys think that's a great idea doing the, you know, doing a zoom type of thing once a week and you're interested in wanting to get better and you're calling, then uh, let's put this together reach out to us and, and, uh, see if we can get this going. And, you know, we're not just going to do just on Canada calls. This is going to be working. Definitely going to be doing stuff with cut downs. I've had a lot of guys who love our, our sound files and love the podcast that we did with Todd Copley and things talk about cut downs. Then they get a cut down and find out, wow, you know, I, I'm having a hard time running this. And then we tell you it's a totally different beast. So, you know, we're going to do stuff on cut downs, duck calls, um, we're also going to do on spec calls, snow calls. So we're going to cover a, lot, a wide variety of this stuff and and, may, and even turkey calls. I'm watching geese flying over now. I should be out in the field. But anyway, I just uh, thought I'd put it out there and, and appreciate all of you guys. And like I said, if you like it, please subscribe, pass it on, and let's get the heritage spread and, and pass it on to the young ones. And, you know, uh, always remember, hunt safe, hunt smart. May the good Lord be your guide. Well, I'll be out there, rain is shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough, because that's what legends are made of.